Hey guys, this is Claire. <laughs> this is Erica. <laughs> <laughs> we are very together, and this is <laughs> Please Stay on Topic, the true. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I can't get our, the damn name of our podcast right because I'm looking at the name of the book right now that we're about to do, and it said. Uh, it's like, it's called The Devil's Highway, and the subtitle is A True Story. So I was about to uh-huh. say that we were a true crime podcast because of that. Wow. <laughs> we are not a true crime podcast not, at all. Oh, not in the slightest I bit. I don't even like true crime podcasts. No. I'm, I'm kind of iffy on them. I like them, I but... Think that, um, I think someone, I think her name is Salem Tover. She's a um, YouTuber. She was doing a little unpopular video, unpopular opinion video, which usually unpopular opinion. I don't like unpopular opinion videos. <laughs> usually they're, they are either popular opinions or they are really terrible takes and that's why they're unpopular. Yeah. But um, she had some good ones. And one of them was she mentioned the, the problematic nature of a lot of true oh, yeah. crime podcasts and youtubers because you know if you're sitting there beating your face while talking uh, for non-makeup people that's putting on makeup (laughs) (laughs) you're doing your makeup or eating taco bell while you talk about real life victims of terrible crimes yeah that's not respectful and you're profiting off of that Make your own conclusions. Yeah, there, there's it's a, a very, very, very complex sort of yeah. Thing there's a way to do it. Of. There's a way to do it, and that ain't it. <laughs> I mean, I like them, but only in very limited amounts, and only when they actually acknowledge the victims. Yeah, yeah. I mostly only watch documentaries on it, and it has to be more about the procedural yeah the actual like killer yeah i don't want to know i don't want to know the nitty-gritty of the the details of the crime like i do not enjoy that at all that's gross yeah so anyway this is not a true crime podcast this is a social justice (laughs) book club podcast so we attempt to stay on topic and fail miserably we're so bad at this sorry guys actually not sorry the amount of editing claire has to do is unfair yeah and you know like i have a baby and she only sleeps for so long so i mean like we man we got to get our lives together we got to get our lives together it's not gonna happen but we should do it your fault for befriending a woman with ADHD. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? You started, and I, I continue it. Like, what's my excuse? Like, I'm the real <laughs> villain here. Like, I it's just my like distracted energy. Yes, I mean, like, I, I, I try to, I try to blame you for it, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the real villain here. <sighs> so today we are going to be doing the book, The Devil's Highway by Luis Alberto Urea. And sorry for my bad Spanish accent. Uh, I try. My When I was teaching, my kids used to make fun of my accent. It was so mean. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, miss, don't speak Spanish. The Devil's Highway is... About infrastructure. Is about infrastructure, indeed. No, it is... It, it's actually an older book. The, I just pulled it up on Amazon, and Amazon is saying 2005. I think it might actually be a little bit earlier than that. And the reason why I wanted to do it is because it's kind of a classic. There are other books that cover the topic 
as well but they like seriously the devil's highway they still throw this at you in college if you live in the desert southwest um yeah so anyway the devil's highway is about a group of mexican migrants who tried to cross the arizona desert in the early 2000s and got lost oh and you can imagine what happened next so for those for those of you who don't know who have never lived there or just don't really know geography it's not a good idea to go into the arizona desert without a map and a lot of water you'll die you'll die you'll die real quick a lot of them did a lot of them died oh yeah so this is a bummer but it's not we you know we're we were trying to decide what to record today. This is a bummer, but it's not a hundred, you know, four hundred years of chattel slavery bummer. So, we're, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. All right. So, basically, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because during the Trump presidency, there was a lot of hand wringing about the border, mm-hmm. and what was really fucked up to me as somebody who had lived in the desert Southwest for much of the twenty tens was that that had been going on since the Clinton administration. Like, the you know, and in fact, when I lived in Arizona, every year, one of the local newspapers would have a death count during the summer. They would count how many Mexican people, or not Mexican, but how many migrants from all over had been found in the desert. Like, every single year. And there were years where it got up into over 200 people. And that's the people oh they fucking God. found. And people don't know. People have no God. People have no idea. Like yeah. <laughs> this has this shit has been I going. I had no idea. No, this and this went on from the Clinton administration. So let's to begin with. Um, so the myth of the costly Mexican. The myth is that immigration is expensive for America. There was this. Um, the Center for Immigration Studies claimed that each adult migrant costs the United States $55,200 in lost economic opportunity. And they claim that the cheap labor of Mexican migrants depresses the minimum wage. The problem with these findings, first of all, it's, you know, why are they blaming the migrant when it's managers who are hiring undocumented people? Obviously, yeah. (laughs) And then that's, that $55,000 doesn't account for the money they pump into the economy via all necessary purchases and housing costs, Mm. the taxes they are forced to pay if they're on the books and that they can't get refunded, unlike American citizens, and the taxes they are forced to pay even if they're off the books, including gas and sales. So basically, just by being here, they are generating economic activity. It's Mm. bullshit to say that they aren't. They They don't cost us money. So, Not to mention that, I mean, there's studies that show our birth rate has decreased. Oh, yeah. To the point where we we need immigrants. Like, we need to replace our workforce. Oh, yeah. We're not doing it. Well, I, I mean, I could, I have a lot to say about that and, you know, how we've basically screwed over an entire generation of people, the millennials, and made it kind of impossible for them to have children. But anyway. Well, yeah, there's that. There's that. So, the setting, the Cabeza Prieta Wilderness. So, that, I think that means dark head. Something. Yeah, I was going to say Cabeza. Yeah, huh? Cabeza Prieta. I think that Prieta? means dark head. Prieta. So, some, it's 
the El Camino del Diablo, the Devil's Highway, is in there. It could get as high as 130 degrees during the day. Yeah, that's why... And sometimes it would stay... It wouldn't go under 98 degrees at night. Wow. Yeah, so... They... Migrants were in that position because they needed to bypass border patrol. Can, can I ask a question? I don't, I don't know if our listeners will might need this information, but how hot does it get in, in like Mexico? It depends because Mexico, like the United States, is super, super duper um, diverse mm-hmm. when it comes to landscape. And actually, that's a huge issue here because these guys are from the Yucatan. So they are coming from a rainforest, essentially. They okay. have no, they yeah. have no fucking clue how to. Yeah, deal with that's the what. That's why I asked because I was like, I think that there is due to our large category, you know, media. If you've ever noticed, usually when a movie takes place, like in Mexico or someplace it's like in the that, desert. It, it looks very desert. Yeah, yeah, no, it looks very, very desert. Lots of yellow filter. Not this. Not know? not these guys. Not where they were from. No, they were. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that more later. But yeah, they had this was... of factors. I mean, if you if you come from the desert, you know, and then you go into the desert, this never would have happened to people who grew up in the area. That's, yeah, 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 you would yeah. you would know what to do. Yeah, yeah, you would know. Don't do it. Just don't. Just don't. Maybe just don't. So the guys that we're talking about were in this position because they needed to bypass the border patrol. But the border patrol became their only hope of survival. And these, the border patrol were not the good guys. They referred to finding folks out there as getting bodies. They called them wets and tonks. And tonk was for the sound that a flashlight made when it hit a human skull. So mm-hmm. lovely people. They used hollow point bullets on folks. And they couldn't tell the difference between Native Americans and the um, on the reservation and Mexican migrants. So they were. I mean, they can't. They they think all brown people are the same. That's yeah. Well, and one of the things is like there's, and I'll mispronounce this, and I'm sorry. There's a big reservation there, the Tohono O'odham um, mm-hmm. reservation, and yeah, like the thing is that the Tohono O'odham lands extend from Arizona into Mexico. So basically, when the border came, it cut them in half. So they're constantly crossing the border because, like, it's still their ancestral land. But yeah, it's created huge issues for them. Wow. Um, Yeah. How did this happen? There's this thing called Operation Gatekeeper. It was pioneered in California at the end of the 90s. So what they did is they concentrated their border patrol forces in cities like El Paso, San Diego, Yuma, and Douglas. Politicians could then rightfully claim that they'd gotten rid of the migrants, but they just forced them into more dangerous territory, the desert. So San Diego is the gold standard for this. What they did was they put up huge a huge fence with floodlights, that, and the fence goes all the way to the ocean like it goes inside the ocean that's how yeah they've literally extended a border fence all the way into the ocean again yeah um there are border patrol uh, trucks every half mile they had night vision technology back in the 90s they had helicopters going but they didn't bother with about 2,000 other miles of border 
and they didn't actually try to stop people from coming through the desert area. It feels like it's just like a show, you know? Well, it's a show with deadly consequences. Right, um, obviously. I mean, yeah. yeah but, but, but that's what I'm saying is, is that they, if you put on this show in one area of the border and you leave 2,000 miles open, you know people are going to come over and get themselves killed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, what people don't understand, and I've tried to explain to, you know, because I, I, people will say dumb shit in front of me about about immigration and what people don't understand is that our economy doesn't work without Mexican migrants and it never has like because they've been coming you know back and forth back and forth back and forth since the existence of the United States like we're being ridiculous it's weird um I'll never forget when George Bush said it's so weird too it's George W Bush but and he said it in a really weird way because you know he was such an master of oration but he literally was he was talking about mexican immigrants and he was like mexicans come over here to do the jobs that americans don't want to do and it was like yeah he said it in a way that was just like oh but he's also fucking right yeah like he's right yeah he's right we we need immigrants to come over and do those jobs now they should be paid a fair wage for it yeah. You know, I mean, the only reason that they're not is because they're undocumented, so they're not protected. Yeah. You know. Well, and that's the thing. Like, they're, everyone keeps talking about, you know, an easier pass, path to immigration, and that's important. But a lot of folks don't actually want to live here. They want to come here, do a job, and go home. Like, there yeah. needs to be an easier path to do that. Like, we need to stop, because basically what's happening is you're creating this situation where you have to, you know, going across the border is this huge, expensive, incredibly dangerous thing. You're not going to keep doing it. You're not going to go home, even if you want to. So, (laughs) yeah, like, they didn't actually try to stop people from coming. And just to show you the lack of interest or competence there was a sign next to a popular crossing that said USA prohibito, but that doesn't actually mean USA prohibited because USA isn't how you say the US in Spanish. It's los Estados Unidos. <laughs> like, USA is USAR <laughs> to use. So you basically just said use prohibited in like really bad Spanish. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Yeah. So, like, literally any like elementary school teacher could have told you that. Seriously, it's really embarrassing. So, uh, Spanish elementary school teacher of Spanish, not <laughs> not just a random elementary school teacher. <laughs> so, one of the consequences of folks coming through is that they were destroying the natural environment. Um, one example was Organ Pipe Cactus National Monument. Like, what people don't understand is that the desert is actually incredibly delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, the plants there are hardy but fragile. And 200,000 migrants were coming through that area every year. 200,000 people stomping all over everything. And it's mm-hmm. not their fault, but, like, there's a better way to do this. Yeah. So, predictable consequence, people fucking died, dude. 
more than 2,000 in five years between uh, around 1995 and the year 2000. More than 2,000 people. Wow. Most were killed by hyperthermia, which is the opposite of hypothermia, getting too hot. But you could also be murdered, killed by vehicles, drowned, or get bitten by a rattlesnake. You could freeze to death because the desert has freezing as well. Or you could have a heart attack. Other predictable consequences. Once people got here, they tended to stay for reasons that we already discussed. But cost shot up past $700, which is a lot of money for anyone, but especially if you are a migrant coming from a place with a depressed economy. So... It became expensive and dangerous, so only the most desperate and homesick would bother going home. (laughs) Border Patrol wasn't sentimental. They usually didn't bother to pick up anyone's skeletal. So basically, like, unless you, if you didn't have meat on your bones, (laughs) they weren't going to try because it was a real pain in the ass to have to solve a potential crime. Meanwhile, Mexico really wasn't doing anything. The Mexican army allegedly combs the border for migrants, but in practice, they just took bribes from, <laughs> from coyotes. Coyotes, that's the, if you don't know, yeah, a coyote is a person who takes somebody across the border. Right. Yeah. So, let's see. The Mexican government also apparently really pissed Americans off by giving, giving folks packages with water, food, and condoms. So, quote, Americans saw these attempts at life-saving as a combination invitation to invade and complimentary picnic basket. And you know how we feel about brown men having sex. They might want to have it with white women. So, yeah. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. To get across the border, you would have to hook up with a gang. To quote Urea, gangs are so in control now that the walkers who want to go alone without a pollero to guide them must uh, pay a fee just to enter the desert. So basically, even if you wanted to go by yourself, you'd have to hand over cash. Yeah, it's almost like protection money. Basically. We call them coyotes, but the gangs refer to them as polleros, which means chicken wrangler. I was going to (laughs) say. Chicken? Yeah, chicken wrangler. Um, Well, it's pretty insulting. Well, no, it's really fucking insulting because live and dead chickens are two separate words in Spanish. Pollo is a dead chicken. So you're a dead chicken wrangler. Coyotes themselves have moved up and are now middling, are middle bureaucrats, basically. You had various administration at the top and then guides, drivers, and soldiers in various tiers. The guia or guide might be called coyote by Americans, but he's actually a throwaway uh, worker to the gang. And he's actually the person who's going to be leading you through the desert. He's expendable. Very expendable. Man, I feel like if there's any sort of illegal resource, gangs take it over. Like, that's just how everything works. Like, there's, like, anything that's illegal, (laughs) gangs are like, oh, this is our industry now. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the, what is it? There's, like, a... There's like an illegal thing with like maple syrup and um, olive oil, like that oh, I read about. Like, yeah. yeah, right. And it's it's literally like organized crime. It's the one that gets it as long as it's illegal. Yeah, they're like that's our bag. Yep, yep. It it is pretty. <laughs> just you just make something illegal. And gangs will take it. Like, you could make bras illegal tomorrow. <laughs> and the mafia would be like, we sell bras now. <laughs> That's what we do. We sell bras. We make bras and we sell bras. 
you? Do you like my? I, I do. <laughs> do you like I, my mafia? I don't crush? feel. I don't feel insulted at all. <laughs> well, I went understated instead. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. So, um, the guides <laughs> made about a hundred dollars per person, and they might slip their chickens some cocaine um, to speed them along. In two thousand, yeah. <laughs> I forgot the people called chickens. I was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this would be a lot happier if it was just coked up chickens. Oh, man. (laughs) To avoid capture, the uh, guides would dress like the country bumpkins so that Border Patrol wouldn't be able to tell them apart from the people they were guiding. They would avoid giving a real name to their customers so that they couldn't snitch. And it was well known never to pay uh, pay the guides up front because leaving a corpse in the desert is simpler than hurting live humans through it. Even if they hadn't already gotten their cash, they were fine with cutting their losses. Quote, every week walkers are left to die by their guias. It is so common that it must be seen as a standard coyote practice, a business move. Yeah, like there's actually um, a really good book called The Death of Jocelyn, where this happened about a decade after these guys were were killed through negligence by the American government. But there was a girl, I think she was 13 or 14, named Jocelyn, and she came was coming up from um, a Central American country with her little brother, and she got sick while they were walking through the desert, and they left her. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. For example, one pollero lied to his charges when their van crapped out, telling them that they were much closer to the highway than they actually were. They, he said five miles. It was really 30. He told them that they needed to keep walking and he'd meet them with a new ride. He was not telling the truth. There were a lot of deaths, including a girl who was only 19 and pregnant. Yeah. Some kids might think that being a guia was sexy because it was romanticized as revolutionary and local music, but no, you were mostly just a dick. So our victims were entrapped by a gang that had a presence in Phoenix, in Florida, and in various parts of Mexico. The process. Once on the American side of the desert, a woman would drag Highway 86 at night, watching for anyone at mile marker 27. If she saw anyone, she'd call some dudes in a van to come scoop folks up. Not sentimental. Your ass is staying in the desert if there's something wrong with you. Like Jocelyn, you're getting left behind. Because, Mm. quote, one can imagine the tiresome complications of dealing with a dead or dying woman in Phoenix. Yeah. This was inside the O'odham nation, and it was a real pain in the ass for them. So, again, the Tohono O'odham are the local Native American group. So they really had the worst of both worlds. They had the Border Patrol cowboying around. They had people stomping on everything and getting lost and needing to be rescued. Plus the hundreds of pounds of garbage that people left behind. Oh, man. And it cost them millions of dollars to fix annually. Like, it's just a disaster. This is this is rude to the Native Americans on top of everything else. Are they well like, are they, like, a well-to-do tribe, or are they, like, you know what I mean? Like, some tribes have casinos out there and I mean, are able to profit off of it. They've got a casino, but I don't think I'd, I'd call them well off. Yeah. I, mean, I was just curious. Yeah. Especially since they're dealing with so much shit at the border and just kind of wondering what resources they even have to deal with that. I mean, I think there are worse off tribes, but I've 
millions of dollars every year, that's a stretch for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Once they got and, and like, and the government doesn't help them with it. Oh, the government loves to try to pass the check. Jeez. Yeah, Once it's crazy they... that like I mean it's happening because of the border control. Yeah. Yeah, they should at least pay for it. <laughs> like... no, you're you're causing this mess with your stupid concept of closed borders. Like, you're fucking stupid and based in racism anyway. Yep. Once they got people to Phoenix, you would hang out in various safe houses without being allowed to leave, and then you would be given a ride to wherever you were going to work because they want their money and you got to get to work. So, the victims. The true count is unknown and unknowable. A few of the uh, group that three people left before they were rescued, but that could be, like, um, a heat-induced hallucination. Who knows? Oh, I was wrong. It's not... Yeah. Um, They were largely uh, drawn from Veracruz, the Veracruz state um, in Mexico. It gets Um, 60 inches of rain annually. Yeah. Isn't Veracruz a... um tourist spot at this point yeah probably yeah i think it is i think it's like a really nice yeah it's on the it's on the coast surrounded by mountains so yeah it sounds pretty nice i mean the fact that like as soon as you said it i recognized the name yeah yeah it's like it's yeah yeah yeah, because it borders the the gulf of mexico oh it's also a car So the economy was in the shitter in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Um, Over 4,000 people had already left the area and it had horrible child mortality. So, you know. Well, no, I mean, for the record, when I say that something is a tourist spot, that does not mean people are getting any money from it. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people vacation in Mexico because it's cheap. Yeah. That's, That's why they go. Yeah. Many of the victims were indigenous, and Spanish was not their first language. A lot of them were coffee farmers. To quote Orea, they were aliens before they ever crossed the line. For example, elevators, trains, and escalators were a new experience for some of them. I can actually tell you the highest temperatures in Veracruz gets up to 82. Yep, yep. It's it's like a paradise. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, in case you were wondering. So, they were fucked. Yeah, they, they were, were definitely not used to dealing with very hot temperatures. Yeah, lots of rain. Very mild, like uh, California kind of, with more rain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Way more rain. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like, like I was saying, elevators, trains, and escalators were new to them. Like, they had never experienced these things. And wait, wait, this took place in, didn't you say this took place in like 2000? Yeah. That's how broke that area is. God. Yeah. They had no experience with the desert or even with flour tortillas. So like everything. <laughs> yeah. Flour tortillas are not a thing in most of Mexico. <laughs> That's a border thing. <laughs> I just want to see how shocked. Like, I literally had no idea. What? Yep. These poor fucks had no idea what Arizona even was. They bought soda to hydrate. Soda. What? <laughs> Did they not know what soda was? Well, I mean, like, if you live in a place that never really gets above 82, you don't get thirsty in the same way. <laughs> that is true, yeah. So. Yeah, you don't understand how, like, vital hydration is. 
So why they came, May through July is when everyone came to die in the desert. They're, they were there to harvest crops, slaughter animals, and cook food. Quote, KFC is waiting for its Mexican-plucked, Mexican-slaughtered chickens to be fried by Mexicans. So that's when the demand was. And, you know, May through July, really the best time to walk through a fucking desert. Oh, my gosh. So these are some of the guys who crossed. Obviously, I couldn't I couldn't go through everyone, but... No, wait, why do, they, why do they take them through in the hottest months of the year? Because that's when the demand is. That's when, like... That's when harvest time is. They can't just like take them through earlier and wait it out? Yeah, Erica, they got to make money immediately. If you take them through earlier, you're just going to have them sitting around in your safe houses for a while, and you don't want that. Yeah, I know, but if you take them through in the hottest months, then you end up with way more people dying. Like That's, I mean, if somebody drops dead in the desert, like that's unfortunate, but you can keep going. I don't know. I argue that their cost-benefit analysis is it's deeply flawed. Is deeply flawed. Yes, I agree. I agree. All right. So these are some of the folks who crossed. Reno Bartolo Hernandez was 37, and he needed to provide for his adopted daughter. Raimundo Barreda Marori and his son Raimundo Jr. Dad was 56. Son was 15. Raimundo Sr. worked as a farmer and in a soda, soda bottling plant. He lost the coke job because of Mexico's shaky economy, and he had already crossed the border at least twice. So he was one of the folks who came back. Mm-hmm. Raimundo Jr. was a great soccer player. His father cradled him as he died. Apparently shredded his U.S. dollars afterward. Raimundo Sr. died swimming in the sand. They didn't want life-changing money. They wanted to give their wife and mother a gift. Dad wanted to give her a new roof. Son wanted to give her better furniture for the house. That's it. That's all they wanted to do. Uh. Edgar Adrian Martinez was only 16. He told his girlfriend, quote, I'll work for five years and come home and marry you. He went with an uncle and his godfather, both of whom begged him to hang on by reminding him of that promise. Enrico Landeras Garcia, he was 30. His baby boy was about, about to start school, but he couldn't pay the associated costs because school is technically free in Mexico, but the uniforms and books are not. So how they got screwed. An area man worked for coyotes to find targets. His name was Don Moy, Mo, uh, Moises Garcia. The only justifiable sh- fat shaming. Quote, hungry men wanted guts like his. So he had this big, big belly and that was seen as prosperous. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see how that works. Yeah. So, you can yeah. build a lot of muscle by eating. <laughs> 26 men that we know of, the 26 men that we know went, they weren't necessarily acquaintances. They didn't sign up in mass, but a lot of them did know each other. It just wasn't one solid group. The con, they wanted the equivalent of their annual incomes per person just to cross. Don Moy said he'd cut it down significantly if they went desert side instead of insisting on going by car in or into the city. So basically walk through the desert and I'll make it cheap. Don Moy said he'd be making the crossing with him, but he wouldn't. He would shepherd them through Mexico, and then he would disappear when it was time to go through the desert. He's not. You don't You don't keep a gut like that walking through the desert every time. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. Later, he attempted to seize what little the families of the dead had left, plus the widowed wives of the fallen, but their neighbors kicked, um, their neighbors kicked the living shit out of him. So that at least had a happy ending. Sorry, I was actually checking to see. No, I don't think it's a big tourist spot. 
it's um apparent it's primarily about being a commercial port mm. because of the access but i mean i assume that if it's a port city then your 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 income is going to be largely based in that industry so well apparently they had a coca-cola bottling plant at one point and obviously they grew a lot of coffee but uh nafta really cratered the um agricultural industry in uh mexico from what i remember from my mexican history class so yeah i do remember that nafta kind of like fucked everybody over yeah um that it was like a really really bad agreement also much later in uh 2010 they got rocked by hurricane carl oh yeah 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 all right so creditors in veracruz loaned them the money at 15 percent interest compounded monthly and they had to put up their land as collateral. Those who couldn't or wouldn't do this basically sold themselves into indentured servitude. Some money up front, plus whatever they worked out with Don Moy for later. Don Moy didn't threaten them directly, but he always reminded them that bad people were backing him and weren't patient with people who didn't pay their debts. So uh, I don't know what's worse. Isn't this basically trafficking? Yeah, this is basically trafficking and oh. also severe exploitation. Yeah, I took training on trafficking recently for reasons I will not divulge. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is trafficking. This is trafficking. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was really, um, it was really interesting. And also, it was really, really upsetting. This wasn't as insane as it seems. People had done well for Veracruz and then come back. So, mm-hmm. you know, they had living examples of folks who came back with money and were able to pay everything off and it wasn't a problem. So it's, yeah, on paper, it's a really bad deal. It is a really bad deal, but there's a reason they took it. Right. Well, I mean, it, you, you can't start up the business without yeah. letting some of it work out. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I wouldn't even be surprised if they like gave people breaks so that it appeared like it was doable. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, like a freaking MLN. <laughs> a little bit. Where did they cross? We're not exactly sure. Different people say different things, um, which could have been a security measure by their coyote. But we think it was El Papalote, which means the kite. And that's basically a shithole. There's no no border presence there. And supposedly it was one day, a one day's walk to the highway. We don't really have a clue. But, quote, how bad can it be? A day of thirst, some physical struggle. struggle. They live like that their, all their lives. Where it went wrong, the guides... A group that large needed three people to act as guias. We only know one guide's real name. His name is Antonio Lopez Ramos. He was 19 at the time, a native of Guadalajara. He had already been deported once by the time he got all these people killed. He took people through the desert about five times monthly. He'd never dealt with this many walkers before. His groups were usually half or two-thirds of that. He was very identifiable, referred to as Rooster Boy by the Border Patrol because he had short hair all around except for one piece that hung over his eye. And Orea thinks that this is dumb, but based on the description, I totally would have hit that in 2001. I was just about to say, yeah, that sounds like a like a, like a the shonen dream from, mm-hmm. from the early aughts. That was the guy that I was reading books about. Exactly. <laughs> If I thought my husband... As soon as you described it, I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that guy. Yeah. (laughs) 
I was I was gonna say if I thought my husband could pull it off, I'd probably hit that now. I don't have any shame. Sorry. He would never. He would never. He could not. He could not. And to be honest, IRL, that's that's hard to pull off. Like you gotta have some like early aughts K pop stylist. Like manage. I'm pretty that ridiculous. Going by the fact that they were all calling him Rooster Boy, I'm betting he didn't pull it off. But yeah, probably didn't. Probably not. In my imagination, he was dangerous, hot, (laughs) (laughs) organized crime guy. (laughs) Okay, so god dang telenovela right here. Actually, I don't like telenovelas. I can't. I can't. They're just too much i like the modern ones like you know dark desire and stuff like yeah that. those are great those are great but the more soapy ones they're just a little too much no. for me no. <laughs> so he began working as a guide in nogales but then they operation gatekeepered it um so he moved to a less guarded area but then the border patrol started catching on and antonio was memorable because of that stupid haircut so he was moved again, this time to an even less hospitable desert, and that was a two or three day walk. Antonio had been caught by Border Patrol on a trip just before our story begins. It had blown a water tank location for the group, so that's the that's a really fucked up part. Like once they once Border Patrol knows where a water tank is, you can't use it anymore. Yeah. 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 Their yeah, their whole their whole thing about like oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I read like a little, I think it was like a couple years ago or something. There was a group that was leaving water out. Yeah. They would leave like water and food out and stuff like that for the immigrants. And um, they would destroy it. They'd yeah. like take it and pour it out and shit like that because they're trying to, I get that they are trying to dissuade people from, you know, crossing, but like you're, they're, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. You're killing like, people. Yeah. You're literally killing people because they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Like, by the time somebody has gotten into the middle of the fucking desert, it's too late to stop them. <laughs> like, right. your whole premise is flawed anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to catch them, catch them, but, but you know, like, leave, leave out shit for them, you know? Let them live. So, Antonio... Dying. Antonio hadn't popped out to the border patrol at the time, despite his dumb haircut, he got away with it. But like a dumbass teenager, he didn't make sure to rest and hydrate the night before. Instead, he fucked around and got drunk. So he's going into this really in tip-top shape. Yeah, he, he still sounds like a Bishonen hero from the early He months. does. Nothing I'm saying, nothing I'm saying is, yeah. When he got drunk, it's probably because his dad didn't love him enough. It's probably. You know, his you know. dad, who's like the CEO of a major corporation... Uh, so <laughs> shut up I hate you it's why he lives this dangerous gangster life he only wants this dangerous his father this and... dangerous low level expendable gangster <laughs> life yeah yeah but he's the best fighter so nobody messes <laughs> I'm sorry I read some real garbage back <laughs> you really did and it permanently damaged your brain the normal guide a friend of antonio's wasn't available so two other men santos and loro which were not their real names went instead antonio was super good at his job right out of the gate and wouldn't actually tell the guys to bring a rational amount of water enough and a bottle were his only words on the subject for a two or three day walk 
So oh my God. our heroes bought Pepsi, candy of various types, including chocolate that was sure to melt into a sticky mass, small amounts of water, salted prunes, solid, which are called saladitos and are apparently a thing, and a type of sweetened chili paste, all of which is just like going to make you so thirsty. Oh my gosh. <sighs> God bless. The crossing itself, they took a bus route, which was checked by mil- Mexican military who did jack shit. They grabbed a stop in the middle of nowhere at 1.30 p.m. From this point, they were driven further into the desert in a van. The plan, travel while it's dark, rest while it's light. Worst comes to worst, rest in some creosote to avoid burning to death. The men were pretty badly misled on how long this was going to take. Each guide said something different, but generally they were told that it would be a matter of hours, not days. Oh, man. But then, oh, it'll take two days tops. But things were fucked from the very beginning. The timing of the drops were off, so they were early and ended up walking more in the heat. And that's a big fucking deal when it's in the hundreds. They were also forced to go up mountains instead of around them. Border Patrol has a harder time finding you that way, but it's a desert, so it's sandy. You do the math on how hard that shit is. Like, just, oh, my God. Yikes. We don't know exactly what happened. The victims were too fucked up to remember accurately, and Border Patrol is full of lying sacks of shit. Antonio isn't exactly a re- reliable narrator for obvious reasons. They started this horrible, arduous walk and continued through the night. Eventually, according to the victims, around 11.30 p.m., there were lights and they ran. What, who could it have been? Antonio thought it was the Border Patrol. It's possible, but Antonio knew it was better to be caught than to run because this exact scenario had already happened to him. So Mm. why did he run? Let's see. And this was a huge number of folks crossing. To startle them without doing anything else is weird for Border Patrol. It could have been the asshole, quote, wetback hunters who did this shit for fun, but they would have tried to kill the victims more directly with guns. Uh, In any case, Antonio fled and so did the victims. They left a lot of stuff behind accidentally including the water for one poor bastard who actually lived. So, yeah. So Antonio was lost and he was lying about it. Worse, he kept trying to take them up through the Growler Mountains. He wasn't leading them into yet more desert. There were settlements on the other side, but the mountains were impassable for people without mountaineering experience. The weather that first night wasn't too bad in the 80s, but they were still fucked for the following reasons. They'd already trekked nearly 40 miles. They'd been early to the drop site, meaning that time in the sun, um, meaning more time in the sun, and therefore more heat sickness and dehydration. It would never be as cool as that first night again. Your relief in the dark temperatures was in the mid-90s. There were watering stations in the area, but Antonio didn't know where they were. Oh. Yeah. The survivors understandably think that this was a murder attempt, but Border Patrol thinks that he was just the dumb fuck kid who couldn't figure any way out of the desert, and for once, they're probably right. But, again... It's understandable that they think that the victims think this was a murder. <laughs> Antonio apparently said <laughs> uh, said this when he heard two of his clients had vanished at one point. Quote, they can suck my cock. Those guys were dumb assholes before they ever came out, out here. If they're lost, that's their problem, not mine. Holy shit, bro. Yeah, not a good guy. Long story short, Antonio did pretty much everything wrong when it came, while trying to figure shit out up to and including making folks break without adequate shelter during high noon. Eventually, the heat had clearly impacted his mental state, and he went into completely in the wrong direction. The men didn't just follow him blindly. Once they realized how lost he was, some of them split off to try to return to Mexico and use their own footprints as a guide. Still in the desert, but either they'd find their way out, or 
find their way back to their misturn or get Border Patrol's atten attention. We don't know how many split off with one guide, but those men vanished. Um, I'm pretty sure finding, following your own footprints in the American desert is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it didn't, it clearly didn't work. They were never seen again. Yeah. Oh, man. Eventually, Antonio, quote, went for help. He took their money. Unclear how or why, but he took it. Had to be American money. One man claims he said, quote, oh, yeah, I'm not going to walk if it's for pesos. This was a common coyote move when shit went south. Antonio says he took Laura with him. Antonio claimed he'd be back within five hours, and he was not. So what does the desert do to your body? It sucks it dry, basically. For example, on July 6, 2002, two hikers died on a day trip to Pikachu, uh, Pikachu Peak. They had water. I know. <laughs> Pikachu Peak. You definitely just said Pikachu. I did. It's. I think it's. I. I should know this because. Pikachu. Uh, Pikachu. I. I. I should know this because it's not that far from Tucson. Like we were always seeing signs for it. Pikachu. They had water, just not enough. We're talking about a six-mile hike. Three up, three down. They died of thirst. I mean, if you've ever been to the, if you've ever been to the desert, you know that like, it's dry. It's dry as fuck. Like, I hate it. <laughs> My hair has <clears throat> never looked better. My hair looked incredible because I have wavy hair, and so like there was zero humidity. So for once in my life, no frizz. It was fantastic. I mean, but yeah, also that's I, nice help, but... I had a seven-year-long nosebleed. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's just it's so dry. Mm -hmm. Like I hated it. And like when we went to Vegas, and people were like walking, like they literally do that. They're like, it's a dry heat. It's terrible. Yeah, it's worse. Like, I would rather have humidity. I mean, granted, I am Brazilian. I did grow up on the coast. <laughs> so, but it's it's like you, to me, it feels like you have a fever constantly. Yeah. That's like you feel feverish the entire time. It's so bad. Every single summer when we lived in Tucson, I would wind up um, getting some version of heat stroke. And mm. like when we came back here, I was like, oh, I can walk around in the summer when there's humidity. <laughs> like, because it just, it strips all the water from your body. Yeah. It's yeah. Horrifying. So like, I couldn't imagine even just walking a day in the desert, like would just be horrible. And they probably didn't have proper covering either. No, they didn't. They yeah, didn't. I'm sure they were super exposed. Well, no, they, they, wearing the right... they were wearing right. too much. There was one guy who was wearing black pants and they cooked his legs. I was actually just about to say they probably weren't wearing the right colors. Yep. <laughs> yep. Didn't know any better. Yeah. So how you'll do under that kind of heat stress and fluid loss is complicated and difficult to tell. Being in shape will help, but it's no guarantee. Like the people who, who died on that on that trek were probably in reasonable shape just yeah yeah you never know yeah, well yeah well i mean that's the thing is that like it can, it can only help you so much yeah women tend to last longer but it's no guarantee like yeah. yeah like i can i can be out in the heat in like the high heat in in the day doing stuff you know but i need to hydrate constantly yeah yeah to like 
be okay. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, I definitely have had friends who cannot do that. They get sick. Yeah. But you still got to hydrate. Like, I just, I can't, I just, I feel so bad for them because like, I can't imagine (laughs) being out in the heat, even just for a few hours, you would need that. This is hell. This is hell on earth. Seriously. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because you know that if you are willing to do that shit, like you are so desperate. No, this is what I want to get through to people. They didn't know. They had no idea. They had no idea what the desert was going to be like. And well, they didn't know, but they're still risking a lot. They're They're still desperate. Well, that's the thing. Like, when we talked about when we talk about immigration, we always say, well, they're desperate. It depends. Like, honestly, the most desperate people aren't in a position to immigrate. They don't have the resources. So, mm-hmm. like, well, ugh, anyway, well, I don't want to get too into it, but basically, yeah. like, I that, mean, you have to have some kind of. You have, well, the thing is, like, you have a drive, obviously. Right. But you'd have to. You just sold yourself into slavery yeah. for like a year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, that's what I'm saying is, is that I think that, I mean, I get what you mean. Like, yeah. the people who literally have nothing, like, yeah, like nothing and no capability of doing these really hard jobs and things like that. Like, you know, it's, it's usually, it, it usually is more able-bodied people that are it's, making these journeys. It's people who are in a bad position, but not like an egregious one. Right. But it's still bad enough to, like, yeah, Some, You know what I mean? Like, if somebody yeah. offered them a job, you know, they wouldn't be doing this. They wouldn't be doing this if they could, like, come over an open border and do a job and go back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Urea said something that I thought was really true. Quote, in the desert, we are all illegal aliens. Like, seriously, the desert doesn't want you there. And it's telling you that very loudly. You don't belong in the desert. No. I mean, even nomads that travel through the desert, like, find ways to stay safe while they are traveling. Yeah, and then go to an oasis. Go to, like, an oasis (laughs) or, yeah, like, a town or something like that. Like, no one just lives out in the desert with no... Yeah. (laughs) With, like, no resources. No, no, like, you can't. Humans will die. We're not good at it. We can't do it. So the stages of hyperthermia. First is heat stress. That's when you're thirsty, your head aches, you start to get a rash... The men were probably already there when the light spooked them. Heat fatigue, burns, splitting of the lips. A lot of the victims were in sandals because they didn't know any better, so... No! Um, Yeah, lungs uh, began drying out. This actually causes oxygen loss. You breathe faster to try to make up for it, but that just exacerbates the problem. Heat syncope. You have an environmentally induced fever like you were talking about. At this point, you're no longer mentally acute. You have a seriously elevated heart rate. The next phase, heat cramps. This is why I always took uh, drank a shit ton of Gatorade when I lived in Arizona. You are constantly losing electrolytes. Everything will cramp, including your guts. You'll lose coordination, stumbling slightly. Swallowing will make a clicking sound from lack of moisture. 
all of this is pretty survivable. 20% of pe people might die at this point, but most people will probably be fine with rehydration therapy. So hell, some people just need water and some time in a cool, dark room. The last two stages, though, will kill you if no one intervenes. Heat exhaustion. You can still survive, but you have all the previous symptoms, but more so. You start to have tunnel vision. You start losing the ability to give a shit about anything. You will try to drink anything, including your own piss or antifreeze if you're unlucky enough to run across an old car. Oof. A heart attack is possible at this phase if you've got other conditions going on. Fainting is a distinct possibility. Like a computer, your body shuts off to try to cool down. Hallucinations of all kinds, and you might barf blood. Heat stroke. Basically, your whole body breaks down. Your muscles start decomposing while you're still alive. Organs go, beginning with the kidneys. Sweating is out of the question at this point. Your blood has lost most of its water volume. And your eyes and your skin turn red because what's left of your blood goes there to try to lower your temperature, which is heading towards 108 degrees. People strip, not because they're hot, but because everything hurts their skin. The hallucinations oh. become so real that people roast themselves inside of little caves they dug in the ground, or they drown when they try to swim in the sand, like Raimundo Sr. ended up doing. Yeah. Like, that's real? Yeah. I don't know, it's just a thing in cartoons. No, people really do that. It's a real thing. Yeah. Swimming in the sand. Swimming in the sand. Yep. Last phase. You hallucinate, you think it's water. Holy shit. I always thought that was like a, you know, like a joke. No. Like, I mean, it is a joke, but it's well, really I mean, fucked yeah, it was, up on. Like gags, but it was, it was based in... Wow, it was, it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew about, um, like, your blood basically turns to sludge. Yeah. Like, you just, and so that's why if, even in that second to the last stage, heat exhaustion, I think you said? Yeah, I think so. You can have a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah, this is hell on earth, and the fact that we've pushed people, <laughs> the fact that we pushed people out into the desert is just, this huge horrible stain on us as a country right like. well it's you know it, it's the it's the way i mean even the way you know that they call them quote unquote illegal immigrants you know it's like they're basically committing a misdemeanor you know what i yeah. mean like if you jaywalk people don't call you a criminal no but no. you're treating these people like criminals when they are literally just normal people that are basically looking for work yeah. that just basically need money yeah you know and you treat them like criminals and and you're you're more concerned about keeping them out of the country than keeping them alive yeah yeah like that's fucked up we shouldn't be having all our money spent on this border patrol we should have our money spent on rescue patrols <laughs> that like go through the desert and check if there's anyone dying in the middle of the desert well the thing is like this wouldn't exist people wouldn't bother if border right. patrol didn't they exist. Would wander into the middle of the desert they would use roads and they would go through el paso areas they'd go through yeah. el paso <laughs> like, yeah. they'd go through san diego they wouldn't this wouldn't happen it's just it's just fucking crazy because so much of it has been used as this this smokescreen yeah you know and yeah. i mean i remember reading oh, i can't remember his name but there was like this fucking guy this politician back in like the early 1900s 
And he was basically an avowed racist towards black people specifically. Mm -hmm. Well, it started becoming unpopular to like run on being anti-black racism towards black people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, granted, it was the early 1900s. Like it was still, you know, people were still wildly racist and, and there wasn't equal rights, but like that vitriol, that like really outright hatred, it just was really unpopular. Mm-hmm. So he switched to Mexicans. <laughs> You've told me about this before, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it kicked off this extreme anti-Mexican sentiment. Yeah, he's like, um, I just gotta hate somebody. Who cares who it is? Yeah, that's my thing. I'm just a hater. <laughs> I'm just the <laughs> I'm just worst a sociopath, and this is what I want to run on. Yeah, and it's just it's just crazy because so much of it is. It's just a political football, basically. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, you know, they did it to Irish people, and then they decided Irish people were fine. They did it to Chinese people, and then they decided, not really. But, you know, they kind of of switched focus. (laughs) I wouldn't say that there was, like, a moment, like, a a blanket acceptance moment, like, with the Irish, but, you know... uh, it was, it was it was more of like a let's switch gears. <laughs> yeah, it's like we have a we have other problems right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, well, it's like which immigrant group are we going to focus on right now? Yeah. You know, like that different sort of thing, and it's just really, really deeply fucked up. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, um, that's like I was telling I was telling uh, Claire today that I found out that Teddy Roosevelt's administration held a like council on race a commission on race and they looked at like over 600 different ethnicities and like put them into race racial boxes Mm -hmm. essentially based on their proximity to whiteness and religion too so like if you were closer to white and christian you you tended to get to be in caucasian possibly aryan if you were real lucky (laughs) and uh and it's really fucked up because they basically could have just been like you know what Race is bullshit. Let's just get rid of it all together. No, no. They then, had... Yeah, it's 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 like state sanctioned racism. Uh, <sighs> they had a real they had a real mania for classification. It it didn't end badly at all. So scientific. It didn't end poorly at Auschwitz at all. Um, yeah. Oh my god! All right, so the rescue. Let's see if we have any time. Yeah, we have a little time left. The rescue. It started with five guys in horrifying shape. They'd broken with the main group on Tuesday, May 22nd. They were found Wednesday morning, May 23rd. Um, The men had originally come to the border on the 19th. So, yeah. By that point, everyone was in terrible condition and at least a handful had already fainted. They had an unbelievable sunburn. Their skin was turning black. Oh, my God. A Border Patrol agent spotted them once they'd managed to find the road. He got varying reports on how many they'd left behind, 17 or 30 or 70. His supervisor's response was, oh, shit. He threw everyone he had at the problem. Some of these poor bastards had walked over 65 miles. Some died just as they were finally able to see the fucking road. 12 people lived, 14 died. The dead became the Yuma 14, and autopsy confirmed that everyone was killed by the heat. Border Patrol really does seem to have responded quickly and seriously, which thanks for actually doing something positive for once. I think that there's like a limit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think that like I think once you hit a certain amount of people 
you know, that are in such a dire situation. Yeah. There's not a lot of people who are going to be like, you know, just fuck them. Yeah. Well, it's just not. Especially if you see five people with their skin turning black, stumbling out of the desert, you're probably not going to be like, well, I'll hit him with a flashlight. Like they're fucked enough. Yeah. I mean, well, and also not, you know, I hate to be like hashtag not all law enforcement, (laughs) but there are good people that take these jobs too. There are people who don't want to be monsters. Like it's the, it's the culture of the thing and the politics and all that, that, that just corrupts the whole thing entirely. Yeah. But individuals can still be heroes, you know? I mean, they still, there are still individuals who care. Well, Border Patrol should barely exist. Like, it should seriously be there to, like, I don't know, I, yeah, keep people from trying to smuggle contraband in or something. Yeah. But, you know. I, watched, like, I watched this thing on the Border Patrol a while ago, and, uh, you know, they were talking about, like, you know, how they hire people and stuff like that. And and um, it's, it's really, really demanding stuff. Like, I mean, when you're talking, I'm talking about Border Patrol out there, not, not all of your customs and border control patrol but a lot of it is spent alone yeah there are people literally are out on patrol completely alone for days at a time and it takes a very special sort of person to not go fucking insane yeah doing it basically it's yeah it's not normal at all <laughs> so it's i i can imagine a lot of those people just lose their fucking minds So Antonio nearly died from having fainted. Border Patrol found him through his tracks. This little dummy actually thought that it was even possible the men he'd almost killed wouldn't rat him out. He really thought (laughs) that they'd lie for him. Uh, Lauro didn't make it, the the other guide who'd gone with him. So Mm -hmm. accounting for assholes, the government is responsible for any medical treatments for prisoners, so Border Patrol tried to get out of pain to cut costs. This is so crazy. The government creates this crisis and then literally refuses to pay for it. Like, just ridiculous. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's the fucked up thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, your individuals might go out and save these people, but now your politicians, your system, they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Fucked up. These poor men had to worry about being imprisoned or deported on top of everything else that had already happened to them. They actually were arrested. And they were going to be transferred to the Phoenix jail when they were well enough. The Mexican consulate from Calexico, uh, Rita Vargas, at least sat in on the questioning by Border Patrol and gave other Mexican officials hell to make sure that the survivors were protected. So they had that going for them. She's awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. But you should have a free pass on being arrested if you die. (laughs) So Antonio, our guide not friend our opposite of friend, he was fucked because the Americans were pissed and happy to blame the 19-year-old for a situation our policies had created. Not that he's totally innocent in this, of course, but again, none of them would have been there if not for our policies. According to the prosecutor, quote, the inherent risks of this undertaking were foreseeable to the defendant. Basically, because Antonio wasn't a newbie, he should have known better. And also... He wouldn't give his customers the full truth of the situation, so they couldn't independently decide what to do. So between him knowing better and him not telling them the truth, basically it was like, you you murdered these people. 
Which, yes, but also he's not the only one at fault here. And I mean, it's a a shitty situation, you know? Yeah. But also, he's a 19-year-old moron. It feels shitty to blame him alone. Right. Antonio couldn't blame it on the gang or try to sell them out for a reduced sentence because he had a girlfriend they could go after. Uh So basically, he had to take this, this fall. Oh, man. Nevertheless, the the gang was cracked down on hard for obvious reasons. I thought that, not that this was necessarily in the past, but that it wasn't as bad as it had been because it seemed like it cooled down for a couple of years. But uh, no, things did not really cool down. So the state of the border in 2021, Border Patrol racked up 1.6 million confrontations with immigrants along the southern border in 2021. Oh my god. That's the largest recorded number ever. <laughs> Do they is there a reason for it? Like were yeah. they trying to escape COVID? We're um no, it is because of COVID, but that's not why. So we'll get to that in a second. Okay. So they were either expulsions or apprehensions. Expulsions meant they were kicked out of the US right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um apprehension meant that they spent some amount of time in the United States. Apprehension used to be more common, but that last year it was expulsion because of COVID. Oh, so okay, yeah. that's the Title 42 thing. You may have heard of that. It was a Trump era public health order where basically you can, guys can't even come in. We're not going to apprehend you. We're just going to send you home or mm. more accurately, we're going to send you to Mexico regardless of where your home is. So Mm. Biden was set to discontinue it in May. The Biden administration was less likely to use Title 42, but they did still use it. And it is still in place as far as I know. Border Patrol calls these, quote, encounters. And a single person may encounter the Border Patrol multiple times. In 2021, 27% of encounters were of someone already encountered. So basically, it's not 1.6 million people. It's 1.6 million encounters. So... more than a quarter of those were of people who had already been caught basically Mm. and i mean this is entirely because of title 42 because they apprehend they they kick them out and then what are they going to do they have nowhere else to go all they can do is try to get into america again Uh so why do they cross oh sorry when do they cross post 2000 the walkers were likeliest to come in march But after 2013, walkers have come later and later. And in 2021, the largest number of people came in July. Which, guy, yeah, we've been talking about how ferocious. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we've been talking about how ferocious the summers are. Like, Biden actually said something really dumb when there was a surge in the winter of 2021. He said, oh, they're coming now because it's cold and it will calm down in the summer. And that's not supported by the data at all. Like, since 2013, they have been coming later and later and later. Well, I mean, I think also, one, you've got people, I mean, most of these people are from hotter areas, so I don't know why hot weather, like, in their minds would would deter them, you know what I mean? Because, like, yeah, they're going through a desert, don't get me wrong, it's, like, way, way worse in the desert, they're coming from, like, more tropical areas, but, like, in my mind, if I look at the weather... And I'm, like, used to it being in the 80s, 90s, where I'm from. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. You know, it's, like, not until you get out into the desert that you're, like... Mm, but also I've made a horrible like, mistake, yeah. And I think they're just going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, desperation. Like, if you're talking about, okay, going through the desert versus 
possible like certain death you know or trafficking for me and my family due to you know the civil I guess it's not civil war but the gangs and the yeah all the unrest there risk the desert well you know what I mean like it's just it's I mean I I think it's kind of shitty to say that okay well you know because the the weather and the environment sucks these people who are escaping these horrifying conditions definitely won't be coming well the thing is like there one of the articles i read there was a picture of a woman she had scars from a machete attack like i i can't remember which um country she was from but it was it was one of like it was ecuador or el salvador or some someplace like that and like if somebody at home is going to go at you with a fucking machete what's the desert nothing it's nothing to you yeah yeah, yeah, not to mention that, you know, it's mostly Western, inter- well, they are Western, but it's interference of other countries, particularly America. It's the United States. These countries. <laughs> the, you, the United States did it. We don't have to be coy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I we mean, work with other countries in tandem true. to do this kind of shit. And if you go, mm. you know, further back, I mean, even if you go like back, 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 back Spain, to like colonialism Spain, and things like yeah. that, like there is... there's a legacy of this, you know, destabilization from different countries. It's, you know, Europe and America. Yeah. That that fucked the whole world. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times we put a lot on America and rightfully so, but weirdly European countries kind of get away. Yeah. when America has been the, the world power for so long. Well, and I think that's kind of shitty. Like, well, yeah, Europe's the original well, center. <laughs> yeah. The day you see like a, like a British person referring to an American as a colonizer, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It went around online. This one, girl i think it was a white girl too but she like posted that like sushi shops in america are colonizer (laughs) food which is extremely ironic because especially on the east coast most of the sushi places are run by korean americans yeah who were colonized by the japanese yeah so very yeah people go crazy with the colonizer shit but yeah, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> America and Europe. Yeah. <laughs> you can point the finger all day long at those. You know, when you're when you're when your long history is screwed with, it's very hard to get back to something. Yeah. Like I don't think that you can say like it's not like, okay, in the ten past ten years, America did this. You know what I mean? It's so much longer than that. You're talking about hundreds of years of interference. Yeah. 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 So where are people coming from? 37% of crossers are from Mexico. So that's the largest chunk, because which makes sense because it's right there. But the other 63% come from a variety of other countries, and that's the largest number since 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, I know El Salvador is a big one. Yes. So the, right. other, the other most common countries of origin are El Salvador, Honduras, mm-hmm. and Guatemala. And this mm-hmm. is also in line with how things have been trending since 2000. And it's really annoying because one thing that annoys me is, is, you know, because in my line of work, I've, I've seen this, I've dealt with this a lot. And the um, TPS, temporary protected status, is for anyone that doesn't know, it's, it's a federal, federal 
like program guideline, it's done at the executive level and it automatically extends the work authorization of people that are in the US from certain countries that are considered to basically be too dangerous to go back to. Mm-hmm. And the three countries that you mentioned are the ones that you see the most often. I think Bolivia is also one. Mm. El Salvador, Honduras, and... Guatemala. Guatemala. And I've seen Bolivia before, too, but not as often. El Salvador is... El Salvador and Honduras are, like... You see them all the time. It's very regular. And the reason they do it is because we have so many immigrants from those countries... And there's a backlog on the work. So they're trying to renew their permanent resident cards or work authorization cards. And there's a backlog. And they don't want those people to go back because it's too dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So they automatically extend everything that expires at this date is extended usually for a year Mm -hmm. so that they can get their cards issued. And to me, that's like this constant acknowledgement of how bad and dangerous it is over there so the fact that they don't like make more of an effort to help these people to to grant asylum is just really 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 upsetting to me because you know how bad it is that's why you're protecting the ones that came over here legally yeah yeah no it's we'll we'll talk about the request for asylum in a little bit it's ridiculous So many other countries are seeing huge boosts, huge boosts in numbers. For example, the following countries' numbers from 2020 to 21. Romania, 266 people crossed, were encountered in 2020. That shot up to 4,029. Brazil went from 6,946 to 56,735. These are Brazilians coming into America? Crossing the border illegally, yes. Wow. Yeah, the southern border. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know it's very bad in Brazil. It's bad, up. yeah. <laughs> I keep up, but um, well, wow. I had no idea. I had no idea that that, that level of... And then Haiti. Haiti, 4,395 to 45,532, which is not at all surprising considering what's been going on in Haiti. Yeah, yeah. So um, ages, most of the people who came were adults alone. But there were 144,834 unaccompanied minors and 451,000 families. Mm. So where they're entering, all of the border sectors saw at least double the number of migrant encounters. The Rio Grande Valley had the highest number, but the Yuma sector went up 13 times. And that's the Arizona desert. Mm. The Yuma sector is where all those, the the Welton 14, the people we've been talking about, that's where they all died. So in 21 years, nothing changed. So the deaths in 2021 across the border, the whole border, it was around 650 people died last year. In southern Arizona, 226 Numbers vary according to source. No one actually has to keep track of these numbers. That's why we don't have an exact count. Only the Pima County Medical Examiner is on the ball about it. So, yeah. We are killing these people and we're not even counting them. So, why does this keep happening? The deaths in Arizona began in 2000. Around 3,900 people have died in the 22 years since. Because Arizona... Oh, sorry, you're you're explaining. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So 3,900 people are dead. Arizona only got the equipment and the manpower to run Operation Safeguard in 1999. So that's that's the gate Operation Gatekeeper um, ripoff. Mm-hmm. It was a dramatic change between... So uh, in like 1999, in the 90s, about 15 or 20 people would die in the desert every every year. In the year 2000, the year after they got all this equipment, it jumped to 79 people. What the fuck? Yeah. So basically... Because they're keeping them out of the safer areas? Yes, exactly. So basically they have all this new equipment now. They put it in the cities. Now you can't cross in the cities. And it's driving people out into the desert. So most of this information I'm getting from the Arizona Daily Star. They did a really great series of articles, which we'll link to in the podcast episode. But anyway, so (laughs) federal officials knew people could die, but thought it would work as as a deterrent. So when they were putting Operation Safeguard into place, Operation Gatekeeper, all this stuff, they knew people could die, but they were like, well, if they if they realize that they could die in the desert, then they just won't come. It feels like such a first world perspective. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. it's just like, oh, well, if it's dangerous, they won't do it. And it's like, bruh, like, it's dangerous where they are coming from. Yeah. They are, what part of these people aren't desperate, are desperate, don't you get? Like, do you really think that they would go all the way to fucking Mexico from South America, which is already a huge trip? To illegally cross through a fucking desert if they were not desperate. Like, they're not coming here because they want to live high on the hog in America. They're coming here because they want to survive. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just, we, when we were talking about, you know, the guys in the Devil's Highway, they didn't know. They didn't understand. They had no idea what Arizona was going to be like. You know, and so, and also, yeah, 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 you know, like, you aren't aware of the dangers most of the time when you come. Why would you be? I mean, this is such a ridiculous comparison, but I watch uh, um, 90 Day Fiance, like, religiously. And what you see a lot from the people coming into America is that they have no idea what they're coming to. And I'm not talking about just their spouse and you know the treatment and stuff like that because you know the vast majority of the couples are are really toxic but um (laughs) they come and they're like and it depends on the situation you know they come and they're living in vegas and they're like i didn't know this was a fucking desert yeah like why why am i here in the desert i wanted to move to la i thought that there were going to be palm trees and you know this and that and you know, or they think that they were going to live in New York City, you know, or something like, like they have this idea. It's actually, it's, it's not funny. It's sad. But my grandmother who came from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and was wealthy in Sao Paulo, Brazil growing up, she married my um, granddaddy who was from Alabama. And she thought she was going to live on a ranch. Yeah. Yeah, this is in the, oh gosh, uh, 30s, 40s. She Because that's what she saw yeah. from American movies. She thought she was going to live on a sweeping ranch and have like this, you know, John Wayne, whatever kind of, you know, fantasy life. And um, 
obviously that wasn't the case. She went to freaking Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> like that's not, yeah. you know, even though granddaddy was, was well off at the time, that was not what she thought America was going to be. Yeah. And that's what you see on the 90 day fiance. They come and they're like, I don't want, you know, maybe they're living in the country and like podunk nowhere. And they're like, you know, I thought that everyone was wealthy in America. I thought, you know, because that's, the image that we put out overseas in yeah. our in our television stuff. yeah and obviously we do because you know that's just what's entertaining <laughs> but they yeah i can't imagine like somebody from like south america like even realizing that america has deserts yeah why like, would you unless they were a big fan of breaking bad <laughs> <laughs> we got like one or two shows every now and then that take place in the desert well and i mean like just why would why would their schools teach the geography of the united states like our schools right. barely teach the geography right. of the united well, and states. we don't have a good understanding of other countries uh-uh. either i mean look at you know anytime something takes place in mexico you gotta you know, throw a yellow made filter by over America. It. It's yellow. <laughs> yeah, throw it's, a yellow it's filter. A yellow over desert, it. which is so bizarre because there are places in Mexico that are huge tourist spots for Americans, and they're tropical. Yep, yep, yep. So, okay, so to continue, quote. The star found that the Border Patrol, humanitarian groups, and local law enforcement work hard to rescue migrants, but no one is in charge of those efforts or held accountable, despite the need to coordinate across 20 jurisdictions and work with humanitarian groups and the families who lost loved ones in the desert. Basically, no one's keeping track. No one's, and and perhaps even worse, no one's in charge. And there Mm -hmm. are 20 separate uh, jurisdictions. So there were, there have been cases where 911 it gets called about a migrant and has to sit there and figure out who they need to connect because it's not clear. It's, it's wild. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, ice, you know, border control, those kind of places there, there's so much more of a police organization. Whereas like within like the state department, we have all these humanitarian offices, you know, and efforts and things like that. So my constant question is why don't we have that why don't we have those kind of offices from the state department that are doing humanitarian things way overseas at our borders as well because we refuse to admit that this is a problem and that people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and basic human decency right it's more of an effort of like quote-unquote guarding our borders from you know drug dealers and traffickers you know rather than seeing it as the humanitarian crisis that it is yeah so border patrol is held up by differing tactics used to cross the desert people either cross in large groups that ask for help because they actually want to apply for asylum or they cross in small groups that can more easily avoid border patrol so basically what's happening is if they go up and they ask for asylum at ports of entry they just throw them out they just tell them to get to get bent and get out so the only way to really ask for um not illegal should be technically i think it is illegal but they're still doing it because they have a you have a right if yeah no the united states you have a right they're to not doing it they're not doing it so border patrol gets stuck with it so basically they find these huge groups out in the desert these huge groups will will walk and get to a certain point and call border patrol and then border patrol has to go and deal with them even though that's not really their job. Wow. Um, so if someone in one of the small groups that's trying to avoid Border Patrol 
needs help, Border Patrol is too tied up with the big groups to do anything because they've got to process all those people. But rescue isn't technically their job at all. That's supposed to be on the counties. Um, Mm. And then time, like we were saying, time is lost figuring out who has jurisdiction when 911 calls come in. And this is really horrible. There, there have been cases where, like, um, especially the uh, Native American nations, they just don't have the resources for this shit. And so yeah. there, there have been cases where um, there was a guy who died in the desert because, basically, like I think it was the Tohono O'odham Nation, they were already they were already looking for someone else, and they didn't have anybody else who could go out and look for this other guy. So mm-hmm. they were like, they finally finished up with the other guy and they were like, okay, we're going to go look for you. And he was already dead. Oh. Yeah. Um, so the crossing is worse than it's ever been thanks to climate change leading to record heat. And then coyotes are making people walk longer than before in an effort to avoid border patrol. Mm-hmm. And they're using Title 42 to toss people out on their ears. We don't actually know how many of the dead migrants were kicked out due to Title 42, but you can guess that it's not ha- happening. You have to imagine that trying to make the crossing more than once led to some deaths, because if you've been walked by your coyote for days and days and days, get kicked out on your ass and then try to cross again, you're exhausted, you're already dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the attempts to uh, wall off the border have also made it worse. It forces people into the worst parts of the desert. Um, the bodies of migrants are found an average of 17 miles from the closest closest inhabited area oh that's so sad yeah so they're getting forced out and out and out so it's a funnel effect on top of a funnel effect the 1990s kept people out of big cities and the 2000 kept them out of arizona's border cities so funnel 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 it's a political hot potato politicians think that if they don't come down hard on undocumented sorry politicians think that if they don't come down hard on undocumented immigration, they'll face political consequences. So even just saying this isn't right, we can't kill people, <laughs> is apparently too controversial. So the two main arguments that people make about what's going the two main arguments that are made about this vast humanitarian crisis, one is these people are dying because of their own choices. On this side, throwing more Border Patrol at the problem will work. And it's exemplified by one Border Patrol's asinine comment. And I did not make this up. I could not make this up. They actually quoted him by name in the article, but I won't because this is so stupid. I feel the need to protect him. Quote, if we had 100% apprehensions, no one would die. Unquote. What? How does that work? You think that you think that there's a number of border patrol agents you could possibly throw at this problem to get a hundred percent apprehensions? Are you kidding me? Well, and then do what with them? Yeah, yeah. Throw them back into Mexico, where they'll just die in Mexico. Yeah, like this is the smooth. What does Mexico even do with all these people? A lot of them just stay. A lot of them stay at the border. And Mexico will also kick them out. Jeez. Yeah, so it's great. It's great. It's great. On the other side... I mean, in Mexico's defense, they are way, way, way smaller than the U.S. They do not have the room. No, they don't have... They No, they don't have the room for this. Um, on the other side, which is exemplified by former Arizona Representative Jim Colby, a Republican, 
A Republican actually said this, so they're not all monsters, or they weren't back in the day. Quote, the border buildup did not stop the flow. It merely shifted it to more dangerous areas where apprehensions are difficult and death more likely. I mean, at one point, a Republican said a smart thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there were at least, at least once upon a time, there were Republicans that, that empathized. With human beings. Now they are just lizard people. Not just human beings, but there were like, I mean, even, you know, I'm not trying to praise him, but even George W. Bush was, was nicer. Yeah. Towards, you know, Latino immigrants. Like he was, like he even said, he said at one point that like, I I can't remember if he said Mexicans or if he was just like immigrants in general, but he was like, immigrants are coming here to do the jobs that most Americans don't want to do. And like, it's, you know, a weird way to say that, but he was right. You know what I mean? Like, like they they come here and they do jobs that a lot of places need them to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Granted, they pay them crap that, you know, shouldn't even be legal, but in many cases is not legal. Well, it's not. Yeah, actually, that's true. Like, it's not because, yeah. you know, they're paying them under the table. But yeah, but you just, you know, you used to hear um, a lot more empathy from people that had lived in Texas and Arizona for the yeah. people that were coming over because they, they personally knew a lot of those people. Yeah, they had actually met them. Yeah. All right. So to quote the Arizona Star, hundreds of predictable and preventable deaths could continue for the foreseeable future without urgent and sustained action by federal authorities, but that action is nowhere on the horizon. This is not even, people are not even talking about this. This is not even on the horizon for most politicians. And the cold hard truth is, why would it be? Because 3,900 people are dead. That's more than 9-11 and no one has said, no one has said peep about it. So why not? Well, and it's such a, it's so sad because it's, it's such an issue that doesn't directly affect. Yeah. Like anyone who's just living in America. Like, I mean, it, you know, kind of affect your heart, but it does not affect your actual physical circumstances. And unless you live right there, you know, in that area. And, um, and it's a very difficult problem and it's a massive fight. And so that's a lot, you know, because you're basically going to have to go to bat for people that can't vote for you, that don't represent, you know, you don't represent them, you know, it is, it is very much a, you know, fight for, it's practically fighting for people in another side of the world, you know, they're here, but conceptually they're on the other side of the world. It's like... It's like a politician being like, you know, we have to save people in Thailand. Vote for me. (laughs) You know, and so people are just like, well, okay, but how does that benefit me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So really your, your support is going to come from really empathetic people who are fairly privileged, you know, to have a life where they aren't really that worried about the day-to-day of their life, you know, because they're not thinking about, you know, their health care or, you know, their own rights and things like that. So, you know, basically white straight people. <laughs> well, and just, yeah. Oh, sorry. My brain died. Um, sorry. 
white straight people in um, higher levels of economic freedom. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and just, it's, like I said earlier, it's gotten to this point where it's politically toxic to even acknowledge that these people have the right to live. Like, you know, because there there is that mentality where it's like, well, you know, they made their choices and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, still, your choice shouldn't be to, like, a consequence of your choice should not be death. Like, that's not... I mean, there are people that make choices to go bungee jumping, you know, when the cord snaps, you're still sad for them. Like, it's still a tragedy. Well, it's kind of like during in Prohibition, the United States government got so pissy about people drinking industrial alcohol Mm -hmm. that they started poisoning it. And so there were tons of cases of the U.S. government murdering people who were drinking industrial well, alcohol. They made their, they made their choice. They made, that, was literally, that was literally the argument. They made their choices and it's like, no, you murdered them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, you know, and it's so, it's so enraging because like, you know, I'm sure you grew up with this too because we're both millennials and when you grow up in like mm, the 80s, 90s, maybe even the early aughts, you hear a lot of stories about the Berlin Wall and how terrible the Berlin Wall it was, and how what an amazing, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall, you know, <laughs> that that line, and you know the swelling music you always hear behind it, and people had pieces of the Berlin Wall, and you know you always see this footage of them tearing it down, and your stories about how terrible it was, and how they kill the people, you know, that like tried to cross it, and blah blah blah, when all they were doing was trying to cross for a better life. That's what our fucking border is. Yeah. And no one acknowledges it. Yeah. Like, like, what are you, t- and then like, you know, of course, you know, Orange comes along and he's like, here's a great idea. Let's build a big, giant, beautiful wall. Yeah. Because the legacy of America, of growing up in the 80s and the 90s in those, in those hallowed days wasn't people talking about how we tore down the Berlin Wall and, like, you know, Reagan was so amazing, even though it was not Reagan's decision to tear down the Berlin Wall. I always make that quote sound like Gorbachev was like, yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Right away, American president. That's the only reason I'm doing this. (laughs) Uh, So how do we make it stop? So first off, we can do data-driven rescue efforts because the desert is huge, but there are patterns in where people are most often dying. So Mm -hmm. if we actually kept accurate records of where people are being found, we -hmm. could basically zero in on those areas and help people faster. We could actually pass laws that would do something about it. The unlikely, because people are terrible, pull people back to ports of entry by giving them a legal means to work in the country via visa uh, reform or guest worker programs. Like, that would be the easiest thing that we could do, and we're not going to do it. Allow people who are already here to regularize their status so that they can go home without having to brave the desert, because that's what we're not talking about. Like, if you're already here, you're going to stay here. Mm-hmm. because you don't want to cross the desert or you're going to cross the desert and possibly die. Right. Make someone study the impact border policies are having on the number of deaths because we're not studying that either. Put up more rescue beacons. 
there are only 34 in all of Southern Arizona, make someone in Border Patrol responsible for hearing migrant complaints and locating the missing, and actually set down rules about what humanitarian aid workers can and can't do. Because right now, uh, the Border Patrol and the U.S. Attorney's Office just bully them. Like, they're constantly threatening to arrest them. (laughs) It's gotten to the point where you can pick up a hiker who's in distress and drive them to the hospital. But if you pick up a a migrant who's in distress and drive them to the hospital, you can be arrested. Okay, one, how the fuck are you even supposed to know? Yeah, you could. You know, yeah. Well, uh, he only spoke Spanish, so it was so obvious. Like, dude, you're in the fucking South. Like, there are people who only speak Spanish down there. Yeah, like, yeah. How how the hell are you supposed to know? Yeah, you're telling me these and all these racist ass motherfuckers that are down there who can't tell the difference between Native American and Hispanic and American and all this shit like they can't tell the difference as long as someone is brown you know <laughs> yeah how how am i supposed to know i i just saw this guy who nice guy seemed like he was in distress was so dehydrated i couldn't even communicate clearly with them i was took him to the hospital i don't know <laughs> what are you gonna do about it yeah the plausible deniability is strong with this one but uh, other people. Well, to be honest, I think that you could challenge those. Oh, I yeah. I think that's an unconstitutional law. Well, and that's the thing. Like, a lot... Of, the thing is, most of this doesn't stand up when you actually go to court over it, but it does have a chilling effect. It's a deterrent. Yeah. 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 We could get the federal government to pay for cell towers in parts of the desert where there's currently no or very poor cell coverage, because mm. most people who are found have cell phones. It's mm. just that they're in dead zones. Wow. Yeah. So um, the thing is, like, those areas are too sparsely populated for it to make any sense for the cell companies to do it. It wouldn't make them money, but the U.S. government could. Mm. And it would benefit United States citizens if we have to get to that, because just because those areas are rural doesn't mean no one lives there. Right. Um, Or like a hiker wouldn't be out there. Yeah, exactly. So put someone in charge so that people don't die because no one uh, in the county where they're missing has the resources to run two simultaneous searches like I was talking about earlier. Once this is someone's job, they can start to make plans for the summer and react to evolving circumstances. Because right now it's 20 different jurisdictions. No one has a plan. And every summer it's a crapshoot of what's going to happen. And then finally, stop letting custom officials refuse to process asylum seekers at ports of entry because they are doing this. They're, they say that it slows down the um, business of the port, but it's literally your job yeah. to do this. You're literally violating their rights. Yeah. Like, we, we allow that. Yeah. Like, I don't... I don't know how they're allowed to get away with this. Like, they should yeah. all be fired. Like, what the... And, like, everybody needs to stop treating these people like they're criminals. Because they're because, not. Because, like, it's, a, it's, it's not, like, a federal offense to come here illegally. Yeah. It's not even a felony. Yeah. It's, like, a misdemeanor. It's, it's yeah. a slap on the wrist. Yeah. And yeah. that's, oh, my gosh. It's just it's just so gross to me. You know, oh, well, you can't be here illegally. You know, you treat them like they're, like, literally, you know, like, they, like, literally robbed a store. You know? <laughs> like, it's like, they didn't, they didn't do that. They also need to stop barring groups from leaving water and food out yes. in the desert. Yes. 
because I know that they've been doing that, like pouring out water and shit like that, which is crazy. Well, and that's part that that goes to setting down clear rules of what humanitarian aid groups can and cannot do. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like number one, leaving food and water should not be a crime and they've made it a crime in some areas. I mean, if you ask me, as long as they're not smuggling somebody into the country, it's fine. Yeah. You know, they should be allowed to give whatever humanitarian aid they can. Yeah. You know, if you've got a doctor out there that can give medical assistance, you know, like water, food, clothing. Like they have their... Tents. There is a... There was at least one group that was doing like basically a free clinic Mm -hmm. Um, and the border patrol, like, I think it was border patrol went and basically encircled them with trucks to try to intimidate them. Like, it's just ridiculous. The stuff that they do. It's psychotic Yeah, because it's like, you're, you're depriving these people of basic human, human care, Yeah, you know, as a quote unquote deterrent, but it's going to get them killed. It does get them killed constantly. And like that doesn't seem legal so we'll have letters up on the Substack and the tumblr and there's i believe one that's like you know pie in the sky hey could you actually regularize people's working situations and give them work visas and then there's one that's a little more realistic which is like could you put some rescue beacons up (laughs) so we've got we've got both options covered for you guys And just, you know, have a great week and have fun damning the man. Hell yeah. Hell yeah.